Due to unforeseen circumstances, I wasn't able to record earlier in the week as planned and my week became more hectic, which was obviously not planned. I have an episode ready to go to record, but with things shifting, I'm now unable to record tonight. Furniture was being moved around my house up until 30 minutes ago, and I don't think I have to say much for you to understand that issue aside from loud noises. It's now 10.30 at night, and at this rate, I'd be up recording and editing until most likely 1, 1.30 a.m., And if you've been listening to recent episodes, you already know I'm barely sleeping as it is. So I don't think I have it in me to be up that late as well as give you good content at that point. So I'm sorry to say this week will be another re-release episode in order to give you something. I dug way back for this one, 83 episodes ago to be exact. And I tried to pick something that hasn't been touched upon in more recent episodes. I'm going to try my best to find time in the near future to pre-record some episodes as backups as to avoid doing this too frequently. I know some of you have mentioned enjoying the random throwback episodes, but for those of you who don't, please bear with me as I am trying my best with everything going on and at 30 weeks pregnant. Next week, we'll have a fresh episode for you that I can promise. Until then, I hope you listen and enjoy. Now for this week's episode. Welcome to Crime Cults and Coffee. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Bryn. And I sound like shit. <laughs> Bryn is sick. <laughs> what else is new? I know. Literally, we've been passing it back and forth, whatever the fuck it is, for months. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. I feel like it's every other week. But um, sorry if the audio quality isn't as great because we are recording separately today for obvious reasons. And yes. if there's any overlapping, just a reminder, this way, this way recording um, tends to do that sometimes where it sounds like we're talking over each other, but we're actually not. Yeah. So sorry about the quality for this week. By next week, we should be back in action with our actual mic in the same room. But you guys understand um, this time, you know, we just can't do it with someone being sick. Yes. With that being said, do we want to get right into our coffee review? Yes. So let me pull up mine. So I have an espresso at home. So that's what I used. Um, All of the Nespresso pods were actually gifted from um, Casey and Sarah as a, I think it was a a birthday present and I'm still like not making my way through them. (laughs) It's taking (laughs) forever. But um, so they got Starbucks Nespresso pods. And the one I have today is a single origin um, Columbia roast. Ooh. Yeah. So this one is, um, let me pull up the notes here. Toasted walnut and herb notes. Um, so I made this into a, a latte with almond milk and a little bit of um, hazelnut creamer because if not, I would just die drinking espresso. I think my heart would explode. <laughs> you're not, you're not a Sagittarius on uh, Edgar Allan Joe's Zodiac <laughs> coffee. Thing. No, I cannot just chug espresso. <laughs> <laughs> Neither can I, and I am a Sag. um so yeah this one's really good um you can definitely taste the walnut in it um which I don't know if I particularly like it's pretty earthy um so it's definitely a different tasting coffee it is 100% Arabica coffee as well and this one's a medium roast they have a little scale on the back of their um box and it says that the intensity on this one is a seven Ooh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. So I'd probably give this one a 6.5. Like I said, I don't know how I feel about the walnut. I don't know. It tastes a little bit too, like, earthy to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
All right. Um, I don't know if we mentioned, but we are doing separate coffee reviews today. Surprise. Again, for obvious reasons. <laughs> so my coffee, um, it's nothing special that I know of. I literally just before I got sick had picked it up randomly at either Walgreens or like a gas station I don't know it's called Clover Valley I had never had their coffee before but it's hazelnut flavored and I used hazelnut creamer same as Kelsey yum Um, it's 100% Arabica coffee and it says it's a mild roast so it's not quite light but it's not medium it's like in the middle there yeah and it is a k-cup and I really for what it is for getting it from like a gas station or like a quick stop convenience store I think it's pretty good it's pretty uh smooth tasting it's not obviously because it's mild it's not like a super bold coffee but it's not bad like I would not mind getting it again I would rate it probably a 6.7 6.75 okay cool yeah so um, anything else we want to mention before we get into it? Yeah, I have a Netflix rec um, that I've been watching. I don't know. I feel like I've given into the like hype about this show mm-hmm. and I ended up really liking it. It's kind of like Gossip Girl. It's called Emily in Paris. It's on Netflix and I'm sure that everybody has seen or heard of it. I started the show and I binged it and I really like it and they just signed on again for season three and four so oh my god yeah it's really cute I mean it's like it's literally like Gossip Girl like if you liked Gossip Girl you'll like Emily in Paris I did so I think I might have to give it a watch yeah (laughs) um I am watching a show right now that I'm gonna talk about but I also want to mention right before this one because Timo and I binged through it last night it was only like four or five episodes I think it was a Netflix show called crime scene the Times Square killer Ooh, and it was so good yeah I've never heard of that one yeah and it mentions like history about Times Square and like New York City back in the 70s that I did not even know about Times Square and I've been going to New York City my whole life and just oh my god it was so well done and usually I don't like those um like crime documentaries that are like chopped up into like six pieces I feel like they're really drawn out half the time and they like repeat the same information over and over and over again you know what I mean instead of just like cramming it all into like an hour documentary right I was kind of like opposed to watching it at first and then once we got into it I was so happy I watched it it was one of the like one of the most well done ones I've seen in a while um I would recommend it oh my god and we also just watched last night what uh, I literally don't remember names it was the one with Sandra Bullock that you told me about the movie oh um uh yeah I know what you're talking about well oh my god I have to find that yeah we'll tag it it's like not unforgivable but it's something like that we'll tag it in our uh highlights like we always do I can't think of the name of it right now yeah, it was really freaking good. Yeah. She's and amazing. the ending sucked. Like, I really wished it ended differently, but yeah. it was really good. And she's just such an amazing actress. It's actually called The Unforgivable. I just looked oh, it up. Oh, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that was so good. I love Sandra Bullock. It was really good. I loved it. Another one that I'm watching right now is The Circle on Netflix. It's my guilty pleasure. Mm -hmm. um it's basically like black mirror come to life yeah Uh, it's these people it's a reality like a uh netflix reality tv show and it's these people and they're basically in this like hotel type place i guess you would say and they're all in their separate rooms they can't meet each other in real life they have to communicate over social media and they give each other like influencer ratings or whatever and then they get kicked out depending on their rating so and, strange I yeah, couldn't get into so it weird, but it's so addicting <laughs> if you like bad reality I do but I couldn't get into that one. Oh well that's my other recommendation yeah all right. all right you ready yep so grab your coffee and have a morning with us all right so 
today we are doing another cult. We haven't done a cult in a little while and Bryn found this one when just kind of like researching other cases that we should do. Um, and this one's pretty crazy. I've never heard of it. Have you? Uh, before this, I had really only heard the name like in in passing. Like, I don't know if I heard it through a TV show I watched or whatever, but I didn't know that much about it. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know about it at all. So it was shocking when I was researching. It's a crazy one. Yeah. So today's cult is the Synanon cult and some background on it. It was founded in 1958 by Charles E. Diedrich or Chuck, he was known as. Diedrich was a reformed alcoholic. At Alcoholics Anonymous, he would speak for hours until he was stopped. Mm. And this is a quote from Wikipedia. Those suffering from addictions to illegal drugs were not always welcomed into AA because it was considered that their addiction issues were significantly different from those suffered by alcoholics. Diedrich, after taking LSD, decided to create his own program to respond to their needs. (laughs) Which is like a nice start to his concept. Right, like a good idea. But like the fact that it stemmed from him being on LSD trip, um, probably not great. Yeah, and... Uh, after what you say next, Kelsey, I'll mention something regarding okay. the LSD part. Yeah. So for more background info on to Diederich, the guy that started this cult, we put a link in our resources that, again, will be on our Facebook page. And that's kind of like a deeper dive into his background. Mm-hmm. Which will explain a lot, I think, in regards to certain things that he does later on. But it also goes into a further explanation of why he was taking the LSD. Yeah. So if you want to learn a little bit more about him, definitely take a look at that resource. We just didn't go too far into his background in this episode. Yeah. So in the 1950s, incarceration was considered the quote unquote cure for addiction, which is fucking terrible. That's so fucked up. Yeah. Like, just throw them in jail and hope that they, you know, make it through their withdrawal. It's horrible. Diedrich decided to start his own program, and he named this group Tender Loving Care. (laughs) That's just, I feel like it's a very strange name for, like, a rehab facility. Yeah. Like, it literally. What does it remind you of? It literally sounds like a fucking um, daycare center in Pittsburgh. (laughs) And I swear it's called almost the same thing. See, it reminded me of a Care Bear. Yeah. I don't know. I have to look (laughs) it up because it's literally like the same exact name as like a children's daycare center. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah. I mean, nice concept, but very strange. Yeah. So he allegedly coined the phrase, quote, today is the first day of the rest of your life, which I call bullshit on that. (laughs) Yeah. I highly doubt that. I've heard that phrase before. Yeah. I think he's lying. (laughs) It's like the phrase of a college yeah (laughs) once tender loving care gained a pretty good following he created the synanon foundation in 1958 so the word synanon was created from a combination of the words sin which means togetherness and anon which means the unknown and another source actually mentioned that it was from the combination of the words symposium or seminar and anonymous and that was a quote from lamag.com so a couple different variations on how he came to the name synanon Mm -hmm. this is a quote from attorney paul morantz he said quote the name was chosen when a member slurred the words symposium and seminar so i feel like it was kind of an accident (laughs) he's like oh that sounds nice yeah we'll talk about paul more later so just remember he is an attorney and his name is paul we'll talk about him later though so tender loving care was still part of this foundation but it kind of just um further progressed to the synanon group that we'll be talking about Mm. one of the group's cardinal rules was no violence so just keep that in mind because it is far from no violence Mm. (laughs) originally he held meetings out of his ocean park apartment but then he decided to move to a storefront when the gatherings became too big for his apartment. Diedrich believed that Synanon would be, quote, as famous as Coca-Cola. 
clearly a delusional man. Like what? How could you compare your group to I just I think he just it just goes to show that godlike complex that all of these cult leaders seem to have in common. Mhm. And yeah, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. So Sinanon then moved again to an old National Guard armory building on the beach in Santa Monica. Ten days later, Diederich and three members were arrested for treating addicts without a license and, quote, operating a hospital in a residential zone. So obviously he was not qualified, nor should he have had a facility where he was treating people. But he did, so he spent 25 days in jail for that. That's absolute insanity. Like, how can you just be like, hey, I think I'm going to decide to make a hospital with no medical background. (laughs) Like, I don't understand. Yeah, and I'm fully capable of treating you. Yeah. That's insane. That doesn't make any sense to me. (laughs) So, Synanon was originally supposed to be a two-year residential program. At some point, Dieterich determined that the members could never graduate. Like, who decides that? <laughs> he's like, yeah, yeah, you'll be out of here in two years. And then one day he's just like, nope. Nah, sorry. I think you have to stay here forever. Yeah. Just because I say so. <laughs> so the program revolved around member testimonials and their journey to recovery. Some professionals joined Synodon even if they weren't struggling with addiction. So New York psychiatrist Daniel Casriel, MD, visited in 1962, and he lived there in 1963. So That's kind of crazy. Yeah, like that it was attracting even people who had degrees and background knowledge with medicine and stuff. And like he stayed there. Like he lived there. Yeah. That's so crazy. And this is a quote from Wiki. Quote, He later founded AREBA, the oldest surviving private addiction treatment center in the United States, as well as Daytop Village, one of the world's largest therapeutic communities. So, I mean, something good did come from it, I guess, but just Just wait. Just like the whole thing. I don't know. I don't understand. Yeah. Synanon sold promo items. And for some time, this part of the organization was making around $10 million a year. Like, I'm sorry. What the fuck were they promoting? Like, what were they selling? Sweatpants? <laughs> like, they're probably selling, like, coffee cups and pens. I mean, like. Rep- and, like, like, I, like the sweatbands that you wear around your head. Yeah. <laughs> and making $10 million a year off of that alone. That's I insane. don't understand. It just blows my mind. <laughs> So the early 1960s came along and Diederich promoted Synanon through the media and connections he had in Hollywood, which I would love to know who those connections were. Right. Like who was like, yes, yeah, let's like, do it. I'll help, you, I'll help sell your pens for you. Mm-hmm. In 1967, Synanon bought a hotel by the beach in Santa Monica, California named Club Casa del Mar. This became the headquarters and a living space for the members that were in treatment for addiction. Wow. I think that part of it is nice and actually would be beneficial even nowadays to people having a place like that for them to recover. Like being in a beautiful area for healing. That would be amazing. Yeah. At some point, Synanon bought another building in Oakland, California, This building had been the Athens Athletic Club, and it was made into a residential facility for members. Wow. So again, like this started out as a really nice concept. Right. Like it had a lot of good ideas behind it. Right. As most cults that we've talked about did. Yeah. For the most part, anyway. There was a Synanon school for children, which is a little bit scary. (laughs) And this is a quote from Wiki. Quote, juveniles in the justice system were often ordered to enroll in Synanon by California's courts. I just think it's strange how, like, their court system was like, okay, this place is, like, for recovering addicts and whatever it maybe had turned into at that time. 
but like mm-hmm. here you can also come and have your the juvenile delinquents come and just like here after they get out of prison yeah like why out of everything did they choose that place yeah like there had to be a connection very strange in the 1970s it was rebranded to a psychotherapy program from a drug treatment program so that might have played like some part in why they chose to send juveniles in the justice system there like maybe they're like oh it's something going on whether it be trauma or a mental illness that they need help with and they thought that place could help them but right I don't I still really don't understand that decision either yeah in 1974 Synanon was granted religious status by the federal government I think this is like the most outrageous of all i'm just confused like what do you do call up the government and be like i'm starting a church i don't have to pay taxes anymore can you accept this yeah i feel like there must have been people in the cult in the government there had to have been like there had to have been some kind of connection yeah because how else did they apply and get approved for being a religion yeah in what way shape or form were they qualified as a religion yeah exactly so being a religion this meant that one they wouldn't need to be licensed two no one would be questioning them in regards to the program or a time spent in the program for example like no one could really be like oh like this is supposed to be a two-year program why has this person been with you for like 10 years because with religion you could be there for life yeah and you can't question that yeah and three they would receive tax benefits or exemption on taxes completely like what it's just oh my god it's just insane that all these things were like approved i just don't get who approved them like it had to have been somebody on the inside yeah so here's a quote from lamagazine.com or lamag.com quote by the end of 1976 it had assets worth 22 million with 8 million in annual revenue coming largely from its specialty advertising division as well as a mortgage business one member had donated and cash contributions from squares synanon owned 5500 acres of property including the six-story del mar club in santa monica the casa del mar hotel today a cluster of nearby apartment buildings three large compounds in Marin County, and another in Badger, California, which also had an airstrip. Add Add that to a fleet of 200 cars, 400 motorcycles, 62 freight trucks, 20 boats, and 12 airplanes, along with $1 million invested in the stock market. By 1977, Diederich was drawing an annual salary of $100,000, roughly $400,000 in today's money, and received a $500,000 quote-unquote pre-retirement bonus. Like, okay, can we back up? What the (laughs) fuck did he need 400 motorcycles and 12 airplanes for? To get all all the people who wanted to be part of his religion from other countries over for the day for mass. Dude, <laughs> the motorcycles, I think, is even funnier, actually, now that I'm looking at it. Like, why do you need 400? I Who's know. riding all these motorcycles? <laughs> I know. And where were you keeping them? I have ideas that I'm just going to let people interpret. Um, I have ideas of what they would have been doing with an airstrip and airplanes f- later down the road if things escalated yeah um crazy marty bird that's all i'm gonna say marty bird yeah uh that's like my speculation on that yeah i just think it's insane that they had all of this stuff and no one was really questioning it the government was like oh this church of course needs an airstrip yeah it's it's the whole thing is just crazy yeah so i'm gonna move on to synanon practices and i'm gonna start with how you would how you would have had to join the cult back then so to join the cult you would have had to have been interviewed by synanon leaders 
you were forced to quit drugs cold turkey, meaning what? have go through withdrawal without medical supervision, which is literally mind blowing. That's really scary. Like, how the fuck do you have somebody go through withdrawal without any supervision? I, I don't I don't know how people didn't die. Maybe people did and and they covered it up. Yeah. The first 90 days of being in this uh, in Sinanon, you had no contact with family or friends outside of the community, which is a manipulation tactic. Mm-hmm. In order to join, you had to transfer all of your fucking assets to this organization. Okay. That's... Like, I wonder what their tactic was to actually get people to do that. Like, they had to have had something where they were like, okay, if you give your money here, like, we'll hold on to it safely and invest it for you or something. Yeah. I don't because know. There's, there's no other way besides something like that or being like, oh, we're going to make sure everything's properly taken care of for you until you're released from your treatment. Because this could take three years. Mm-hmm. Who knows what will happen to your stuff. Right. Like, unless it was something like that or, like, you mentioned, like, an investment, I can't see people easily being like, yeah, let me just, like, sign this all right over to you. Yeah, sure. Have it. Yeah. So after all of this happened, you would then go into the three stages. So as we mentioned earlier, this was a one to two year program initially, and there was three stages to it. So the first stage was um, community and housekeeping labor. The second stage was living in the community, but working outside of the community. And the third stage was working and living outside of the community, but still attending meetings within the community. So they were trying to slowly, I guess, get people back into society, you know, um, stepwise, which is a good idea. But yeah, if like that's the way it was and solely that and it stayed that way, I'd be behind something like yeah, that. Yeah, I feel like people do that. Like that's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this obviously, like I mentioned, was designed to rehabilitate people into society. So in 1968, as mentioned, the program changed to a quote, lifetime rehabilitation program. So it was no longer the one to two year program. It was now a lifetime program. Mm -hmm. So allegedly it was ran or they ran an unauthorized medical clinic in connection with this lifetime rehab program, which I guess he didn't learn from his 25 days in prison that you can't do that. And there was still no people following up on this man doing that again. Yeah, like, what is going on? Um, So, quote-unquote, Synanon game or the game. And this was something that was used to control members inside of the cult. That's what it was called. Um, Outsiders couldn't go into this game as well if they wanted to. And it was said to be a therapeutic tool. So, it's horrible. But I just... One member would talk about themselves and then would be criticized by other members in the group. So basically they were humiliating each other and demeaning each other and they used attack therapy and harsh language. So like literally just coming at them and breaking them down to absolutely nothing. We have talked about this in so many cult episodes, I feel, where they just like name it something completely different. Yeah, but it's the same exact principle, and Mm -hmm. they literally just take people and bring them down to absolutely nothing by demoralizing them. I'm so fucked up. Yeah. Just, like, stripping them of their identity completely. Right, and in in this game, they were encouraged to expose, like, their deepest weaknesses so people could, you know, use it against them. So higher-ups in the cult also took part in this. And this meant that they could also be humiliated by members. So kind of a way to normalize it for the newer people. Yeah, but I feel like they also probably used these things that people were saying to them against them later on. Like making it be like, oh, we won't take like the higher ups. I mean, like, oh, we won't take offense to it. Like, see, we're one of you. We're part of this, too. And then I feel like they definitely probably used it against them. Yeah, exactly. Like, and then they're supposed to just go out in public 
after these attack therapy sessions and pretend like nothing happened and be nice to these people after somebody could have literally just been like yelling at you and demoralizing you. You're just supposed to act like nothing happened. That's such trauma. Yeah, that's horrible. Oh my God. Um, so eventually this turned into a 72 hour game, which is literally, it sounds like torture. Yeah, that really does. It sounds like a form of torture. Yeah. And this is a Wikipedia quote, uh, quote, the game was eventually used to pressure people to submit to Diederich's will, abort pregnancies, undergo vasectomies and commit violence. Oh my god. Like when you're at your lowest low, he convinces you to do these horrible things to your body outside of your will. Ugh, that's sickening. Yeah. So moving on to the mid 1970s, women were required to shave their heads to be part, like as members of this cult. Married members had to break up and have new partners, and he eventually created quote unquote three year long love matches. So you would be expected to like form a relationship with someone and then build that. And after three years, nope, it's done and you move on to someone else. Yeah, that's disgusting. Mm -hmm. Diederich issued a no children mandate as well and told his followers to stop having children saying, quote, I think children are a very bad investment. Like, Like, fuck you. Who are you to say that, though, to other people and make them do that? That's just clearly he had underlying trauma or issues dealing with either children or um, like him as a child. Right. That's what I was thinking. Him as a child. Yeah. So another vile thing Diedrich said, which I really don't even want to say, but it, it is part of something that happened. He said, quote, having an abortion is like squeezing a boil, nothing more, which is just so fucking disgusting. I honestly feel like I'm going to throw up my mouth. Like, how can you say that about something that's so significant in somebody's life and then just narrow it down to something that's so insignificant? That's disgusting. Mm -hmm. He's just so desensitized and has absolutely no remorse or no regards for human life, clearly. And whether you're pro-abortion or not i feel like comparing it to squeezing a boil is just so disgusting it's horrible so a few pregnant women were forced to have abortions and abortions were encouraged among members men had forced vasectomies and in 1976 80 operations happened that's insanity yeah and the fact that he actually convinced or forced that many people to go through with it it's just so sickening yeah it's horrible at some point the members were all wearing overalls as their attire so that's another thing you had to do as part of the cult i'm literally just picturing like the minions (laughs) like them running around that's true (laughs) basically they had they had to copy like everything he was doing Like, I guess he was in an overall phase, and then they all had to wear overalls. He wore overalls, so I wore wore overalls. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He's basically the 1970s Regina George. Basically. When Diederich quit smoking, except more extreme, uh, when Diederich quit smoking cigarettes, everyone else was expected to as well, and I had actually read that He kind of chose to do this because another, like, money-saving tactic for them, um, he used to smoke, like, three packs a day and stopped smoking, and then he realized, oh, if I have everyone else stop smoking because I'm not smoking anymore, I could save, like, $250,000 a year for my coal. Like, that's so fucked up. Yeah. In 1964, authorities were sent to investigate Synanon's practices. Finally. It took a long time. Yeah. And it's still a long time coming, but. Lifetime rehab was against norms, and they were allegedly running an illegal clinic. They expanded to an old Trans-Pacific Marconi RCA radio station in Tamales Bay, which is now Conference Center State Historical Park. 
Allegedly, they start they started building buildings and airstrips without required permits. Could you imagine? They're just like, hey, I want to build here. And Could you <laughs> imagine, like, a pilot flying above it, though, like, as it was being built and being like, wait, wait I wasn't... There's an- yeah, there's like an airstrip being put in here. I wasn't com- informed about this airstrip. <laughs> this is where taxation came into the picture. So Diederich declared Sinanong was tax exempt, but calling it, quote, Church of Sinanon. That's so gross that you can just put the word church in front of something so horrible and it be free of all these things. I don't understand how that's possible, to be honest. Like, I either. Like, what were they saying their religion was? I don't know, but I hope that, like, now it's a lot harder to do that. Yeah. At the height of the cult, there were around 1,300 members and assets totaling around $33 million. Oh, my God. So here's a quote from LAMag.com kind of, like, backing this up. Quote, it eventually operated centers up and down California, morphing into a utopian community then a religion, and a cult with more than 30 million in assets and upwards of 1,300 followers. So it was growing pretty quickly. And making a lot of money. Yeah. So children that attended began running away, of course, because they didn't want to be there. Mm -hmm. And a, quote, underground railroad was created in the area to help kids return to their parents. And I had read in one of the articles that the Underground Railroad was actually started by, like, a nearby farmer that, like, wanted to help kids reunite with their parents. Oh, my God. That is so scary. Especially yeah. as, like, little kids who were even possibly born into that. Right. It's horrible. Allegedly, ex-members and opponents of Synanon were beaten in Synanon basements. The grand jury issued a report in 1978 that attacked Synanon for evidence of child abuse. They also, quote, rebuked the governmental authorities involved for the lack of oversight. That's a Wikipedia Mm -hmm. quote. Yeah. I'd say so. Definite lack of oversight. Like, these are kids. Mm -hmm. Somebody needs to protect them. Mm -hmm. The media was silenced by Synanon lawyers because, of course, they had endless amount of time and money to do that. And connections, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm going to get into some of the criminal activity that happened within this cult. Synanon was allegedly involved in criminal activities, one of them being disappearance of Rose Lena Cole in 1972 or early 73. Cole was received, uh, I'm sorry, Cole received a court order to Synanon and then she just disappeared. Oh my God. So like, it's very odd that that was the connection. Like she was supposed to go there and then she just disappeared. That's crazy. Yeah. And that it was ordered by the court. Right. Like those. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. I wonder what happened with that. Yeah. And how, like, I feel like if it was court ordered, there should have been immediate follow up and check in with like, oh, how is she doing? Like, right. Like, is she there? Yeah. Can we see her and speak to her and, and see how she's doing and make sure that she's on the right path and all that. And then she's just gone. Yeah. And then there's like nothing after that. That's just strange. Very strange. So next part of the criminal, criminal activity within the group um, was a group of people in Synanon that were organized to commit violence. And they were called the quote unquote Imperial Marines. So they had their own martial arts and it was called Sindhu. I just feel like they loved making up words here. Mm. By 1978, uh, this group of Imperial Marines had an arsenal of guns. So that's never good. That's also another red flag. Like, why does a church or a religion need an arsenal of weapons? Maybe the government didn't know about that part. I don't know. Yeah, that's like illegal gun use. I don't know. That's true. Over 80 acts of violence were committed, including mass beatings and hospitalized teens. That's so sad. That really is. I can't even imagine what these people went through. Ex-member Phil Ritter was severely beaten. His skull was fractured and then he went into a coma and then subsequently developed bacterial meningitis, 
which almost killed him. Oh my god, that's terrifying. Like, talk about trauma. I, I just can't fathom this. Two black couples were beaten up for parking their car at a Sinanon apartment building. Oh my god. <sighs> it's horrible. A rancher was pistol whipped. Former, I'm sorry, former Sinanon president Jack Hurst's guard dog was found hanged. Like, how could you do that to a dog? Oh my god, that's awful. Two men were run off the road, handcuffed, beaten, and their heads were shaved. Kind of as like the Sinanon mark, you know? Yeah. To shave their heads. That is, I feel like it was either that or they were like refusing to be members or something. And maybe they were like, oh, now you're, now you're members. Yeah, exactly. In the mid 1970, I'm sorry, mid 1978, NBC Nightly News had a segment about Sinanon's controversies. Allegedly, some NBC executives and corporate chairman at the time received hundreds of threats from members and supporters of the cult. Wow. Which is literally terrifying. Reporters from many different media and media organizations were allegedly threatened. October 10th, 1978, which was weeks after the threats to NBC, Two Synanon members put a rattlesnake in attorney Paul Morantz's mailbox. So remember earlier we mentioned Paul Morantz. Um, so yeah, they, as an attack to him, they put a rattlesnake in his fucking mailbox. That is a whole other, like, level of evil thinking. Right, and I read somewhere that he didn't have his contacts in, so I couldn't see very well, uh-huh. but he saw something, like, hanging out of his mailbox or, like, out of the grates of his mailbox, so he went over to, like, grab it, and it bit him. Wow. Yeah. How horrible. Wow. I just, like, how I don't understand. So, um... He, Paul Morantz, the attorney, had been representing people who were held against their will by the cult, so that's why he was being attacked. Mm-hmm. He tried to warn the public about Synanon. He was, like I said, bitten by this rattlesnake and hospitalized for six days. Poor guy. Holy yeah. shit. According to Department of Justice, Diederich was allegedly discussing the assassination with Synanon Imperial Marine leader Doug Robson. Of, you know, to kill Paul Morantz, which is horrible. Like a nonchalant conversation. <sighs> Allegedly, they, di- they discussed, quote, blowing him away with a shotgun. And that was a quote from Paul Morantz himself. Oh, my God. Yeah. He also, when he got bit by the rattlesnake, I had read that he immediately, like, was screaming for help and stuff. And saying, like, Synanon did this. Synanon, Synanon. Like, he knew it came from them. Right, like it was no surprise to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so this whole situation with Paul got the ball rolling with an investigation into Synanon. About time. Which again, yeah, like oh, it's a little late. Uh huh. Six weeks later, police searched a Synanon ranch in Badger, California. They found a recording of founder Diederich, and this whole quote is the recording that they found uh, of what he said. Quote, we're not going to mess with the old time, turn the other cheek, religious postures. Our religious posture is don't mess with us. You can get killed, dead, literally dead. These are real threats. They are draining life's blood from us and expecting us to play by their silly rules. We will, we will make the rules. I see nothing frightening about it. I'm quite really willing to break some lawyer's legs and next break his wife's legs. And threatened to cut their child's arm off. That is the end of that lawyer. That is very satisfactory, humane way of transmitting information. I really do want an ear and a glass of alcohol on my desk. This man was so sick. Like the fact that he thought that this was a way of communicating humanely to this attorney, Paul, is disgusting. Yeah, and even just saying, oh, I do want an ear and a glass of alcohol on my desk. Who the fuck? says something like that like right so nonchalantly right like he was just full of violence i feel like mm-hmm. and just human disconnect yeah i feel like he just he had no connection 
to other human beings and just like no remorse in general right like he was a sociopath Mm -hmm. so moving on a little bit from there there was also child abuse within the cult babies were allegedly taken from parents and raised in a quote-unquote hatchery which is just a disgusting term to call. yeah that's just a very strange way of putting that almost like it's like a factory yeah and a factory like it reminds me of where like chickens would lay eggs in mass production right so they're he's not only making it like a mass production but just like oh they're animals like he's like again just demeaning children and other human beings right it's horrible when mothers asked to spend time with their children, they were nicknamed, quote-unquote, head suckers. Weird. Children were taught to fight the, quote-unquote, holy war. So we've mentioned similar things in other cult episodes where basically this holy war concept, it's like everyone else outside your cult is out to get you. So from a young age, these children were taught to fight to, like, protect their leader. Right. And I feel like to an extent, like from our previous cases that we had talked about, about Otto Warmbier, it's kind of how like on a much smaller scale, North Korea brainwashed people into like fighting what they were believing in and not believing anything else outside of the, you know, outside of their beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like also who knows if they were giving these children guns to practice with. Like, how traumatizing. Yeah. There is a newsreel from 1978 of a woman telling her story of being beaten as a child in the cult, as well as seeing other children beaten. Julie Moncharsh was a former member, and she said that one child in the cult had a disability and was physically beaten for not being able to do 20 push-ups. That literally makes me want to puke. Yeah. I... I'm tearing up reading this because it's just so that's like takes it to even another level like you know this person is incapable of doing that and yet you beat them for not being able to Mm -hmm. and they don't even understand what's going on that's just like so disgusting Mm -hmm. so a quote from julie about this quote he was beaten he was hit in the head and then socked in the stomach poor thing Of course, the group denied these allegations, and in 1976, when there were more and more claims of child abuse, that was attracting news attention. Right, so people were saying, okay, we can't let kids be affected by this, like, we need to step up. Yeah, and this also, like, contributed to their downfall, I feel like, because, like, finally, I mean, all these people were seeing stuff on the media, it was getting out to the media, and... Not only were people trying to leave Synanon, but people were then not joining. Right. So the downfall did come. On December 2nd, 1978, Diederich was arrested drunk at Synanon's new $1 million compound in Lake Havasu, Arizona. He allegedly had to be carried out on a stretcher. How ironic. Yeah, that's like how obliterated he was. That's so ironic. That he, yeah, that he started this to help people with addiction and whether it be drug or alcohol. And then he's like, he's leaving completely wasted. I feel like he had to have known the downfall. Downfall was like coming at some point. Yeah, it was just like drinking. Yeah. To like, he's like, I don't want to deal with this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In 1980, He pled no contest to conspiracy to murder, and he was sentenced to five years of probation and was no longer allowed to manage or affiliate with Synanon and was also fined $10,000. I feel like he got off with a slap on the wrist. Literally nothing for what he caused. Yeah. That's so frustrating. It gets even more frustrating. Here we go. (laughs) Doctors said because of quote-unquote ill health, he would probably die in prison. So that's why he was not put in prison. Good, great. Let him die in prison. Fuck that. 
that makes zero sense to me because there are plenty of people who go to prison who are like ill or on their deathbed and they're still given the sentence for what they deserve right like that and doesn't who the make fuck any cares sense. like for for if he actually abused children and made women get abortions and made men get vasectomies and so on and so forth he deserves to be in prison he deserves a lot more than that he deserves to be have everything done to him that he did to other people yeah that again he there had to have been someone on the inside with that because or they had he they got paid off or some shit because i don't i don't see how that decision was made me either in 1997, Diederich died a few weeks before his 84th birthday. And Synanon members Joe Musico and Lance Kenton were also arrested. These were the two men that put the rattlesnake in Paul's mailbox. They pled no contest to assault and conspiracy to commit murder charges. And Kenton was sentenced to one year in prison. That is bullshit. Yeah. Again, like... like- how you clearly attempted murder on this man you put a fucking rattlesnake in his mailbox how are you only in jail for a year and then there wasn't really anything on musico's sentence so i don't even know if anything happened to him right like i don't understand yeah and something else that i had read that paul had said which is also makes it even more sad was that um Due to this rattlesnake bite, he's had ongoing illnesses for, like, the rest of his life. And part of it is, I believe I read, he has to get blood transfusions, like, every couple weeks. All because they were literally attacking this man for no reason. Yeah. And he said something in it, in re- like, in regards to the rattlesnake bite and what they did. He said something like, this is literally the longest murder ever committed. Ugh. because he's still dealing with the aftermath of what they did that's horrible yeah so Synanon didn't function well without Jeterich because remember he wasn't allowed to be affiliated with them anymore this is a quote from wiki quote the internal revenue service revoked the organization's tax-exempt status and ordered them to pay 17 million in back taxes That's the least they should have returned, you know? Yeah. Because of this, the group became bankrupt. And Synanon officially ended in the U.S. in 1991. But a branch founded in 1971 in Germany is still functioning. Gross. Hopefully, they stuck with the original Synanon beliefs and are doing great things. Right. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Because if this is still continuing somewhere else in the world in 2022. That's fucking terrifying. That just adds to the immense amount of problems that need to be solved. Yeah, that's literally terrifying. Yeah. So the cult is ended, but there are some things that you could say that came out of this that were happy. So even with all the negatives and the criminal activity that Synanon took part in, there were some positives Synanon has been given credit for helping some people overcome their addictions. And these people include jazz, jazz musicians, Frank Rahak, Arnold Ross, Joe Pass, and Art Pepper. It also helped actor Matthew Beard and motivational speaker Flory Fisher. Well, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, at least something that helped a couple people, but it did a lot more harm. Yeah, maybe they were also in it towards the beginning when it actually was a good concept. Right. Like, who knows? And even so, I'm glad they were helped. But like you just said, there's plenty of people that weren't. Yeah. This is a quote from LAMag.com. Quote, members went on to found or play key roles in establishing numerous drug treatment centers and therapeutic communities of their own, including Tomb Est in in Venice Delancey Street in San Francisco, Amity in Tucson, Phoenix. I'm sorry, Amity in Tucson, and then Phoenix House in New York City, 
and Daytop Village in Queens, New York. And again, like I said, that was a quote from LAMag.com. So people did come out of this and they were able to make their own treatment centers, which were beneficial to people. Which is good that they're, even if they did experience some dark things, they made it out. And not only did they make it out, but they're doing better things with it. Right. Some former members are still in close touch and others have gone into business together. So it formed some good connections. Mm-hmm. Some movies, TV shows, and books that have come out about Synanon Cult afterwards. One was featured on an Oxygen series called Deadly Cult. Another was a 1965 film called Synanon, which made a million dollars in box office sales. Oh my God. In 1965, so that's a lot. Yeah, wow. And I then if it was all members that went to see it. Yeah, I know. Or, like, people that were just interested and, in, like, have heard about the cult. I don't know. I mean, I probably would have gone and seen it, but... Same. Wow. Yeah. And then lastly, there's a book called, quote, The Rise and Fall of Sin and On, and that one's available on Amazon. Might have to give that a read. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, this is definitely an interesting one. Um, I feel like it's so sad that the concept behind it was so nice and started out with helping people. And then really it turned into nothing about people at all. It literally turned into destroying people. Yeah, like he gave zero fucks about humanity by the end of this. Yeah, like literally just used his power for his own benefit. Wow. Yeah. We'll make sure to include uh, those movies, shows, and books that Kelsey just mentioned in our highlights as well of shout-outs so you guys can give them a watch or give them a read or whatever. Yeah. So, again, go to our Facebook at Crime Cults and Coffee. That's where we post all of our resources and photos from each week's case. So you can go on there and check that out. Um yeah, we also have our Instagram, Crime Cults and Coffee, where Bryn just mentioned on our highlights reel, we have different um, recommendations that we've given. And then there's also a um, section on there that we do all of our reviewed coffee. Yeah. Also, make sure if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts to rate and review. We really appreciate it. We could use some more reviews and we love reading them and we just really appreciate everything and you guys tuning in every week also can't forget if you have a listener story or a case suggestion we're even more obsessed with those i thrive on listener (laughs) stories yes if you have that for us please either dm us at crime cults and coffee on instagram or send us an email at crimecultsandcoffee at gmail.com. And remember, that can be anonymous. We don't have to say anything about you. Or we can give you a shout out, put out a handle, whatever you want. Right. <laughs> Our platform is your platform. Agreed. So use it as you please. Yeah. And stemming from that as well, if you happen to have been in Synanon and would like to use our platform as your platform to speak on your experience, we have so much respect. We've talked about this in other episodes for people who have like endured anything, being in a cult as well, and then being able to come out of it. We would love to hear your story. It just takes so much strength. And honestly, like the amount of bravery behind it for every single person that I've heard speak on coming out of a cult and getting out of it. It's just, it's, it's crazy to me. Yeah. I feel like any form of survivor story, cause that's what they, like, that's what you are as a survivor or any any story at all where someone has come out even if it's just like struggling with anxiety right coming out on the other side or even just taking those steps where maybe you're not on the other side of it yet but you're working through it day by day that is just so incredible and we commend you and we're here for you right and it's so inspiring and I think helping other people 
that are dealing with the same things by talking about it is so huge. Yeah, that's like a huge part of why we created this platform. We've mentioned before that we like to cover the stories that aren't out there as much or don't get as much attention to draw attention to them because everyone is just as important as the other and we just we really hope people utilize that through our platform uh we mentioned last episode too that if you have a case of a missing person connected to you or something where laura can tap into it into finding someone for you or helping you figure out a strange strange situation that's happened reach out to us as well because we would love to have you on the podcast with her right and laura loves doing it She loves trying to help people in any way possible after they've gone through something as horrific as maybe losing a family member and not having that closure. So if that's something that you've struggled with or you know somebody that has, please reach out to us and we will get you connected with her. Yeah, so on that note, I think that's it. Until next week. Yeah. Have a good week, guys. Bye. Bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook